This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 223 of The Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by Lars Pormann for what I guess will be a quick two-sum. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. Quick two-sums are just my thing, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit under the weather, so if there are even more mishaps on my side than usual, please excuse that. Um, we decided that we will actually talk... First about Borussia Dortmund's 1-0 win in Gladbach, then talk all things Europa League and then uh, talk about the Monday game at last. So, um, yeah, let's try to talk about the positives first in Borussia Dortmund's 1-0 game. Um, that means with uh, Frankfurt winning, with Leverkusen winning, but Leipzig losing in Frankfurt, Schalke also winning. That means uh, the top four or top six is still mighty close, except for Bayern, of course. But Dortmund are in second place now. So you can see how very important that win was. And André Schöle, Mario Götze and Marco Reus started for the very first time together, as far as I know, in the Dortmund shirt. I actually don't know if they once did that for Germany. Um Yeah, they did. They they played some friendly match in like 2013, I think. Yeah, I figured that there was something like a very long time ago. Um, so Lars, I guess um, since those three more or less advertently linked up for Borussia Dortmund's only goal, you can now talk about the beauty of uh, Andre Schüller, Mario Götze, and Marco Reus playing together. Before we focus on all the other shit. Well, to be perfectly honest, the beauty uh, in that threesome, which is kind of a weird theme for our episode so far, uh, is more the latter two. I think Götze and Reus linking up is very important and something I guess we've looked forward to since Götze has returned to Dortmund last year. Schöll is doing okay right now. I think actually his performances are being a bit overrated just by... Just because people don't expect anything from him is at this point after his first 18 months in a Dortmund shirt didn't really go as planned. Um, it feels to me like everything he does gets magnified to an extent that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think he, he's playing well, uh, for the standard he has set, but, uh, it's not like he's lighting the world on fire consistently for 90 minutes nowadays. Uh, Dortmund's focus on counter-attacking uh, really helps him. That's what he does well. But you still see when Dortmund uh, are forced into more possession that his lack of technical qualities is kind of a problem for the entire side. And I still get nightmares from whenever he drops back, uh, tries to be more involved in the build-up and makes his, <laughs> makes, makes his weird 
uh, turns where the ball just ricochets six or seven yards away from his foot. I mean, that's basically an invitation for disaster uh, with the opponent, opposing team being able to pounce on that ball and, and overrunning Dortmund's not overly quick uh, rest of the defense. But, you know, I, I'm going to give him enough credit going forward. He's doing some good stuff and has been involved in a few goals in recent weeks, which were important. Uh, this one against Gladbach, a bit fortuitous for a number of reasons. Uh, a, I think uh, Schuller didn't even want to play the ball to Reus. It kind of fell to him more. And then Reus obviously was quite honest in his interview with Sky after the game, saying that he didn't intend for the ball to take that curve over Jan Sommer. He wanted to hit it to the goalkeeper's right, I think, which would be the far post from where he shot the ball. So it was uh, quite uh, fortunate to go in, but I guess that's also uh, a quality of Marco Reus, that even when he mishits balls, they are played with a certain velocity uh, that they still can be dangerous. And in, in this case, they were. I think Sommer looked a bit awkward, but uh, there was no saving that ball. So... Uh, all in all, those three is more of a shoulder plus the two, really. But, you know, uh, with the injuries to Jaden Sancho, Andrea Molenko, Maxi Philipp, and uh, Polisic being out of form, which I guess he told you uh, after the game, uh, it's it's quite nice that Schürrle is at least at a point where he can contribute uh, going forward. Yeah, well, I've uh, the uh, Polisic clip here. I'll play that in a, in a second, but... Um First, I, I really wanted to talk about that goal again because, as you already said, um, you know, Schulle actually did not want to connect with, uh, Royce, but rather with Götze, who made the run in the, in the box and would have been an awesome one too because, um, I think that the, besides the technique and the way the goal went in, we really have to applaud Mario Götze for that audacious pass. A very long diagonal ball, which dropped dead right on Schuller's foot, and uh, which which we all know is about the pass and not Schuller. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's it's uh, it was a really great pass, and um, yeah, was more or less the only thing that really opened up for Dortmund in the first half. I don't really remember them creating too many chances overall in this game. I mean, the expected goals were zero point four six or something. Uh, according to ESPN's model. So, um, yeah, that really tells you how fortunate they were overall. And, um, yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. The, the, the problem that I have is, I, I mean, the, the pitch itself was pretty atrocious. We can talk about that for, for a second, maybe because I don't think that, um, I just don't think that a professionally, run football club should have such a bad field. I don't know how you see it, Lars, but I think Gladbach could do a little bit more to have a better pitch available on such an important game. Yeah, obviously it was a more or less irregular playing surface. Uh, I think the referee would have been well within his rights to not actually uh, blow the opening whistle for the game just because the pitch was so terrible that some of the balls kind of stuck to the ground. Uh, I think... Obviously, a referee in the Bundesliga with, I don't know, 45,000 or so fans uh, in attendance will not uh, cancel a game because of the pitch unless it's 
even worse than that, but I think uh, I mean, the, the problem I have with this is that Gladbach, to me, aren't really known for having a bad pitch. I don't remember them having these issues before, so I don't know if it's the, the harsh winter on the lower Rhine this year, which, I mean, I, I live uh, somewhat close to Gladbach and the winter has been quite harsh the last few weeks, uh, even here where we are a bit sheltered uh, from the elements. But, you know, even even still, I mean, uh, the stadium in Gladbach isn't that old. They they build it, I think, for the World Cup. Is that right? Uh, yes. So, in theory, they should know uh, the problems about their pitch and, and when the weather gets tough. So, I guess they could have changed out the surface over the Christmas break because the winter wasn't as harsh then. But, I mean... Uh, for however bad the pitch was, and it was truly uh, horrendous, uh, there's always the fact that both teams are actually playing on it. And I think Max Eberl made the point after the game, which kind of made sense to me, that Gladbach are a team that uh, likes to play football themselves. They have a few good technicians in the side. You know, someone like Raphael, who wasn't available for this game, uh, Torkan Azar, really good dribbler. So it's not like... They are one of those teams that only hoof it forward and and hope for the best in attack. They they want to play football going forward. They want to uh, take players on and the likes. They want to combine to score goals. So it's not like uh, they had an advantage. Like for example, Schalke in that cup semi final, I think against Bayern uh, ten or twelve years back when when Felix Magath was still with, uh, their coach. I mean they. They knowingly played on a bad surface for a few weeks with the Bayern game coming up because it gave them an advantage. I don't think we can make the same assumption about Gladbach in this one. So ultimately, no harm done. Dortmund won the game. Nobody picked up uh, injuries. So it's going to be uh, the smallest of footnotes like in two weeks. Yeah, definitely. Though um, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't make the news conference because I was uh, in the mixed zone because I would have loved to ask Dieter Hacking how the pitch can be or how the grass can be in such a bad shape being so close to the Dutch border. And uh, <laughs> what I found a little bit funny, I had the pleasure to sit next to Markus Bark on the, on the press stand and um, he actually looked up the open jobs at uh, Gladbach and they are indeed looking for a greenkeeper. <laughs> so just a... Uh, Funny little side someone, there. Someone tell Lothar Matthäus. Yeah. <laughs> someone. Um, not me, though. Um, maybe you, Lars. I, th I think you have better contacts there. Um, I did shake his hand once, so, yeah, I, we, so. we're basically close personal friends. <laughs> yeah, you are uh, Lothar's homie now. <laughs> anyway, um, we do have to talk about that atrocious second half and... Um, What I found interesting, the first half was okayish, I guess, performance-wise. Um, Dortmund had 53% possession, and then the second half completely different. Dortmund dropped back for I don't know what reason, because obviously it didn't really help them. <laughs> and yeah, Dortmund had 40% possession in the second half, and even even uh, worse, their pass completion in the first half was around 76% or so and in the in the second half it dropped below 60 59.1% and a player like Julian Weigel who usually 
you know, has a decent pass completion rate, had a pass completion rate of 43.8%. That's atrocious. And um, I think Peter Sugar said it himself on, on Monday after the pr training that Dortmund um, actually are not really great at um, defending so deep as they did. So last question over to you. Why did Dortmund drop so deep? Do you think that was because Gladbach forced them back? I guess there's an element of that. Uh, I think even in the first half, uh, they kind of struggled holding up two balls uh, closer to Gladbach's penalty box. I think Batshua had a pretty tough time with the pitch, as did uh, Reese Oxford for Gladbach. Incidentally, the two loanees from the Premier League, uh, maybe they are too accustomed to the well-organized, well-kept English pitches. Uh so without Batshuayi's, I guess we can already call it trademark holder play. Uh, they struggled, um, you know, setting foot in Gladbach's half consistently in the second uh, period, especially. And then I do think that Gladbach forced them back a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't watched too much of Gladbach, but I would assume that this was their. I don't want to say best performance of 2018 just because it wasn't particularly good, but it was certainly more decent than some of the other games they lost or it must have been uh, because they weren't, you know, terrible. They certainly deserved at least a point probably to win the game, if not for Roman Burki, which I guess we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but yeah, it's not like uh, Dortmund haven't dropped deep after going in front under Stöger before. It's like kind of their thing. Uh, even against a position which usually doesn't demand uh, you do that just because they don't have the attacking quality. Uh, under Stöger, they have... Like Hamburg, for example. Yeah, even uh, the few minutes after the, the, the early goal against Freiburg, if I'm not mistaken, and some of the other games uh, as well, they, they scored the first goal and then for reasons that, I can't really understand and it must come from the coach because they never did it under Peter Bosch. Uh, maybe they should have done that uh, at times under Peter Bosch. Uh, they they dropped deeper, which uh, Stöger correctly identified as not exactly a strength of Dortmund and they kind of wait for something bad to happen to them. And if not for both the bad pitch uh, and Roman Burki, uh, that could have gone south quickly. Uh, on Sunday, like it did uh, against Atalanta, where f for uh, strange reasons that aren't really easy to explain for, uh, explain for us, they played well in the first half, or in, against Gladbach, they were only decent in the first half, I'd say, and then uh, coming out of the gate in the second half, they were uh, more lethargic, kind of set deep and, and waited for something bad to happen to them. So um, overall, if we can take a first look over Stöger's entire tenure after eight Bundesliga games uh, and adding in the Europa League game, I think we can exclude the Bayern away cup match that was never going to be a win for Dortmund uh, in these circumstances. But if we want to take a first look at his entire time at Dortmund so far, the results are so much better than the performances that it kind of feels like this is a house of cards waiting to crumble against better opposition and that probably only starts against Leipzig in 
in the next Bundesliga match after the Augsburg game. But there are a number of difficult fixtures coming up for Dortmund. And if they don't improve drastically on some of these things, uh, you know, deep defending, uh, individual mistakes, they still make too many. Uh, their build-up play is still slow and deliberate. They still rely on the opponent being too dumb to score at times. I think uh, what now seems like a very good marriage between a perhaps a bit conservative coach and Dortmund could could become a problem against these better opponents. You know, I actually wanted to ask you about the uh, central midfield, uh, Weigel, Castro being uh, yeah, inferior to Kramer and Zakaria, but I think that's obvious. Um, and actually take you up on that point because we often use the 6-1 win against Gladbach in the reverse fixture as, you know, the, the, the classic game under Peter Bosch where Dortmund were winning high, but it easily could have gone the other way. And um, remember, we were talking about Dortmund having too much of a high line, being too susceptible to counterattacks. And we already got the feeling with the game against Freiburg and Gladbach and, and whatnot that the house of cards is very much there and it all fell apart or, you know, imploded very quickly after this one international break where uh, they were lucky to get a 2-1 win away to Augsburg. And yeah, then, uh, you know, the rest is history. And I feel like we are more or less at the same point again where um, Dortmund somehow get a result in Gladbach. I'm not sure quite how they did it. Um, Gladbach with expected goals of two. So um, really should have scored and really should have won. But uh, yeah, as you said, they were just too dumb to do it yet again. And, um, you know, it's it's just the same. Now, this time we say Dortmund are sitting too deep. Uh, <laughs> but the individual mistakes are sort of the same. And, and I feel like, you know, It doesn't even matter if you put them high on the field or low or deep or whatever. It's just, it's just the same in a, in a, in a different setting, maybe, but, um, the team overall doesn't have that much stability. However, um, if there's maybe one positive is that the back line is not as hampered by injuries as it, as it was in the first half of the season and, um, That rotation that is happening is more or less on purpose. Yes, Marcel Schmelzer has been out recently and Jeremy Tolian certainly did not cover himself in glory in the last two or three games. But um, yeah, Stöger is rotating Akanji in and out and Socrates and Toprak and uh, this is actually working quite okay-ish. Uh, I would say the last ditch defending us or the Resvertaligung or whatever you want to call it in in the name of Akanji and um, Socrates. And I would also include Piszczek in, in that Gladbach match was actually pretty decent, but everything else in front of them and around them was not. And uh, Lars, I know you are a bit more reserved to shell out a 10 out of 10 performance as I am with my ESPN ratings. So uh, you can now go ahead and talk about that Roman Birki performance. Yeah, I, actually, I was more inclined to give him a nine just because there wasn't that one signature save where you went, wow, how did he do that? It was more the sheer number of 
uh, saves he made, I think 11, which is a Bundesliga record for this season and really a good number because usually you have only one or two games a season where it's in double digits, uh, which obviously also comes down to the fact that not often teams sh uh, fire off like 26 shots against a good team like Dortmund or a supposedly good team like Dortmund. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, this is the, the kind of game that makes the worst games of Burkis and the ones where he makes inexplicable mistakes so much more annoying because we all know that this is the kind of performance he has in him. And uh, when, when he makes mistakes, <clears throat> sorry, uh, you always remember that, hey, last week he did this against Gladbach where he was incredible, basically, even though he, as I said, didn't have to make one outrageous highlight reel save. Uh, but obviously without his performance or even with him not having a great but just a good day uh, there's a very decent chance Gladbach would have beaten Dortmund so uh, he deserves a lot of the praise he's getting right now even though I think his reaction his rather reverse uh, reserved reaction towards all the praise right now uh, is justified just because he certainly knows that he hasn't been as consistent as you would like your first goal uh, first choice goalkeeper after two and a half years to be and uh, certainly in some of these games especially in Europe uh, his mistakes were quite costly so it makes sense that he's you know not uh, puffing his chest now and and talking about how great he is when he he knows very well that this isn't his strongest season uh, for Dortmund Yeah, I totally agree, and uh, it is a bit of an issue for Dortmund um, because uh, every great side usually starts with a very great goalkeeper, and uh, Roman Berkey in glimpses is good, but uh, he's not consistent. You know, I always think back to Roman Weidenfeller's great season in 2012-2013. You know, he was actually pretty good the entire time Dortmund were uh, winning titles back then, but... Um, That was just a year where he hardly, I can't even recall one mistake. You know, if you watch Weidenfeller play now, you just see how many mistakes he makes because, you know, he's, he's not the first choice goalkeeper anymore. He doesn't play regularly and he's just past the point. But, you know, during that time, he was at his best and, um, yeah, just avoided m making mistakes. You know, he wasn't Manuel Neuer, but, uh, It was just so hard to beat him because um, he didn't cost his side any points, really. And um, the same should be expected of Roman Bürki. Maybe not yet, because he's still somewhat youngish for a goalkeeper. But uh, eventually, he needs to show that or Dortmund have to think long and hard about a better goalkeeper. Simple as that, in my opinion. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, if I may, I I think I said that uh, in the last episode when we already talked about Berkey. It kind of feels like with Berkey, you only either get the games where he's at one hundred twenty percent or at eighty percent. And Weidenfeller is a good example. He was always at one hundred during his prime years. I mean, now he's shot athletically, and we he's a shell of his former self, but when he was Dortmund's first choice goalkeeper for basically a decade, you, unless he had a really torrid time for a couple of weeks here and there, he always was the same guy. And with Berkey, you don't get that. So in my opinion, that's a problem because you know how good he can be, but he just isn't uh, like half of the time. So 
that's why I said last week, maybe it would make sense for Dortmund to sign someone who's maybe not as great as Birki on a great day, but certainly not as bad as Birki on a bad day. So uh, I think they are certainly going to take a look at that. The only thing that might stand in the way of this is uh, that they have some other more pertinent positions to uh, refuel, possibly central midfield, probably need a striker. So it might be on the back burner more, but uh, I think there's there's no chance Dortmund are 100% satisfied with Roman Bürki's performance, even though they gave him that contract extension in, in autumn. Yeah, what what do con contract extensions mean nowadays? Anyway, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think they were happier with him in autumn as they are now. I don't know. Um, well, that was just just a, a try to, um, you know, raise his self-confidence or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess uh, Dortmund really have to look for a central midfielder because that did not really look good in Gladbach. And um, yeah, Julian Weigel is not the player he once was right now. And this is a shame in itself. Maybe we can talk about this a little bit more in the next episode because uh, we are running out of time. Um, anyway, before we move our attention to the... Euroleague, we will quickly hear from Christian Pulisic after the game. <laughs> did, did you have flashbacks today to, for the CONCACAF qualification when you saw the pitch? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Obviously, it was, a, it was a rough one out there, but it was a good three points. Yeah, definitely. How important was it, when, especially when you look at this match day today? It was very important. Uh, definitely a much-needed win. Uh, we knew it wasn't going to be easy coming here, but uh, getting three points is the most important thing. You describe it as a deserved one today or a tough grind? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was definitely a tough grind, of course. Both teams had their chances, and it was uh, sometimes a sloppy game at times, but uh, we, we did well, and we did, I think we deserved to, to win the game. <laughs> do you? How, how do you see your own form right now? Uh, not the best it's been, uh, but uh, I'm just working hard, trying to help the team any way I can right now. So um, that's it. But you, you feel like it, it's not like you need a lot to turn it around, right? Yeah, no. It looks I, like it's I, little just, things. I just have to stay positive and uh, keep going, and then, uh, yeah, things will turn around. Do you think a little break would help in, in that regard, or do you think uh, playing every minute is? Oh, there's no time for a break right now. <laughs> so. I'm just going to keep going. That was Christian Pulisic talking after his, what was it, 15-minute spell in, in Gladbach. Um, yeah, I, I guess he is still hopeful that his turn will, uh, his form will turn around e eventually. I, I don't think he's too far away. And maybe one last point on, on Berkey. I was uh, almost inclined to just give him an 8 out of 10 just because of his uh, atrocious distribution. But then I thought oh uh, maybe with the pitch he was slipping a lot maybe that's that's what it was so i cut him some slack there but um anywho in in the future i really hope that Burki also improves in his distribution anyway um a 1-0 win hard fought one uh i don't really agree with politic that it was deserved but uh, <laughs> whoop de doo um i thought the 3-2 uh, win against Atalanta in the first leg was a little bit more deserved for Dortmund. Um, it was certainly, as you already said, a very solid first half, in in my view. Uh, didn't really look like uh, Atalanta would... I mean, they were o always a threat, but it didn't really look like Dortmund were threatened too much. And uh, it 
looked like they were closer to adding a second goal than um, Atalanta equalizing. So um, that's certainly flipped in the, in the second half. But um, let's talk about the one goal Dortmund scored in the, in the first half. And uh, I guess Brawny points to Michi Bajwai for, uh, yeah, getting the uh, ball or wrestling the ball of uh, Freuler deep in Dortmund's own half and then maintaining it long enough for Pichek to make a run. And then, Lars, I want to ask you, do you think that pass by Pichek to Schiller was deliberate or was it just a little bit lucky because the window was also small and it could have easily been intercepted? Yeah, I do think he wanted to hit him. I don't know uh, if he... Uh hit the ball exactly the way he intended to, but uh, certainly looked to me like Schöler was the intended receiver of the pass. And uh, it, it was nice to see a Dortmund fullback attempt that pass uh, because, it, as you said, could easily have been intercepted. But sometimes that's the kind of risk you need to take to make something happen. I mean, it wasn't like Dortmund had a plethora of chances against Atalanta in the first half, even though they were the better side. I would agree with that. But uh, certainly nice to see Piszczek with some uh, attacking contributions because overall, I think right now and at this stage of his career, he's more of a solid defender than the kind of roaming, uh, free-flowing forward thinking uh, right back that he once was. No, certainly not. I don't. I don't really think we we even see. I mean, he he makes us runs forward, but we just don't see much of an end product coming from his runs. Which is why I once asked Peter Sugar why, when Pischek receives the ball very high, you know, from a diagonal ball and builder play, why he doesn't just ping it back into the half space, which, uh, for example, happened quite a lot against Cologne. Those opportunities where he just didn't do that and. Uh, yeah, not really much was cre created after all, and uh, Dortmund just tried to recycle possession, and, and the same, uh, yeah, happens in in most games really. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Last to me in that game, Michi Bajoy was really the standout player. Um, I don't know how you see it, Mario Götze, obviously as well in the in the second half after coming on, but. Uh, but Troy showed his great holdup play. He showed that he can dribble. He showed that he can, as you said, strike with authority. <laughs> of course, that equalizer was quite amazing, I thought. And uh, yeah, he had also a very nice dribble in the box. So yeah, he, he made a lot of things happen for Dortmund uh, in, to the extent where I say Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Although we all know his qualities may have not have the same influence in such a game. And, uh, yeah, but try on his best, which I thought we, we saw there pretty well. Uh, yeah, can, can be a real force and, uh, make the difference for Dortmund in, in such a game where, as you said, they didn't have a plethora of chances, but nevertheless, um, you know, it was enough in the end to, to create that, uh, yeah, win. Lars, how did you see those five, six, maybe even ten minutes right after the halftime break where Dortmund looked complacent, abject? I don't know. They were just awarding Atalanta so much space and I don't even know. I can't. I mean, you said you can't explain it. I, I certainly cannot. I don't know what was happening there because uh, 
the players, I think Julian Weigel said it, that uh, Peter Stöger fired them really up in the in the, in the dressing room. Uh, certainly not much lasted through the player tunnel, I guess. Yeah, no, I also struggle to uh, envision someone making a, a pep talk to a team at halftime with, with Peter Stöger's Austrian accent, kind of. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to pump you up. It doesn't really work, uh, at least in my opinion. But uh, He can only pump himself up. Yeah, uh, I guess that's like 30 years ago, maybe. Um, I don't really know what, what happens to Dortmund sometimes in these early second halves. Uh, let's remember that this was basically the Thomas Tuchel special in his second season. Uh, that happened a lot. That they played decently in the first half, came out of the gates and, and were basically swept away and at times even conceded right from kickoff. Uh, still remember that dreadful Frankfurt away game in November of, what was it, 2016, I guess. Um, A complete deficit. Yeah, in, in all areas. And he wasn't even, you know, exaggerating. Uh, I don't really know, as I said, what what's going on with them, but uh, for Atalanta, as I said, they weren't that great in the first half. I was actually quite disappointed with their possession play because we pumped them up uh, in, the, in the preview episode, talked about them being uh, so untypical for the the stereotypical, I guess, Serie A side and how they like possession and how they are so great in, in this and that area. And then they basically laid an egg in the first half, didn't do much offensively. And uh, I think they're only... A scoring chance in the first half came from a, a Caldara header after a corner, so that wasn't. Though they they were dominant in possession. Yeah, but they, they didn't do much with it. They, they didn't do yeah. much with it. They they had. But at, at least they were dominating possession, yeah. so we weren't lying. Yeah, completely. But, but they they weren't <laughs> as good as we made them out to be. So I was a bit disappointed with that. And in the second half, they they weren't much better. They just had these acres of space, as you mentioned, and when you give talented players like Josip Ilicic, who is talented. Uh, yes, he's also a bit lazy at times, which is why he's playing for Atalanta and not Juventus, which is a club that would be interested in a guy like that if if he were up for it uh, twice a week, basically, uh, in, in you know, the Februarys and Marches of, of seasons. But if you give a guy like that too much space, he's going to punish you. So... Uh, for example, that I think it was the first goal where Tolian had this positioning mistake, but why is Tolian covering two players uh, in a centre-back position? Where are the centre-backs in that area? Why is Julian Weigel ball watching? <laughs> yeah. and, and that's, he was in no man's land yeah, right there. And I mean, it's it's a continuous theme for of, of these last few weeks and basically in the entire season that Dortmund don't get any good, solid... Uh, number six midfielder play from whoever plays the position, whether it's Nuri Shahin who did it well for two and a half games and everybody thought he was back. No, he isn't. He's done athletically. Uh, Weigel, a shell of his former self, doesn't really do much uh, either going forward or defending, even though he's since those Watzke comments about needing someone who looks angrily at players, he's spending most of his time on the ground, it feels like. Uh, yeah, he was very close to the sending off in that Yeah, game. he should have been sent off. There's no question about it. And actually, we forgot to mention that Gladbach probably should have had a penalty uh, in stoppage time against uh, Sokrates, I think. So uh, that that only adds to 
what we talked about earlier that Dortmund are living uh, a precarious life with results much better than their performances and if not for the uh, Batshuayi performance which was great and I think the best substitute performance I've seen from a Dortmund player in a long time from Mario Götze who was unbelievable off the bench I think uh, the Europa League would already perhaps be done and dusted even though we saw that Atalanta for all their group tactical worth don't have too many individual players of the highest quality so I would have given Dortmund a decent chance to turn around the result uh, in Italy but Uh, for them to come close to giving that game away, that's not really a sign of quality on Dortmund's side. No, definitely not. But uh, we do have to give them credit for turning it around, even though it was in the last second. And um, as you already mentioned, um, it was it was also quite interesting because Marco Reus obviously was replaced by uh, Mario Götze. And in the second half, Dortmund had like 66% possession. They were the dominant team as they were trying to get back into the game after laying that huge egg. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, Marco Royce was sort of ineffective because that one were trying to turn the screw and, uh, actually became better in possession play. I, I thought, um, their build up had much more, I don't know, just that. They, purpose? they just look purpose. purpose. Yeah, that's that's the right word. They just had much more purpose than they usually have, and uh, that was already you know very positive. But uh, Mark Royce, he is a player that thrives in the, in the transition and uh, in the second half. That wasn't really, yeah, a, a quality that was needed as much. So um, Mario Götze coming in was a complete game changer in the regard because that was exactly the setting he thrives in. It, it's not only down to Götze because that would take away credit from other players but nevertheless um you know his his two assists to Bachuai were great um um though help me out here um who was the Atalanta player that played that free kick directly into Schuller's feet <laughs> I don't was it a free kick or was it a throw-in no it was a free kick uh it, it was a must it was must, a must have been Hatteboer from the position because it was on the on Atalanta's right wing, but doesn't really matter. It was atrocious by whomever. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious, but also showed that not only Dortmund are susceptible to complete cock-ups. <laughs> and yeah, that was another goal, obviously scored in a transition and very well taken by Bachuai. Um And uh, yeah, I gotta say, I was really impressed by Mario Götze in this game. And I thought uh, his first half, at least against Gladbach, was... Uh, pretty amazing as well in the second half against Gladbach everyone in midfield collapsed Dortmund did not have any sort of ball retention whatsoever as Gladbach were just better in their positioning which uh, is uh, sort of sounds shambolic when you go up against the Dieter Hacking side but that's just how it was so um anyway so kudos to um to Dortmund but um you know I always say in the recent weeks that most of their chances are still built on coincidence and transition play rather than creating anything for themselves and I I think the same can be said about the Atalanta game the first goal they scored was um, created by Batshuayi of course but that was also on a transition and uh, the second goal as well you know you 
basically exploits a very bad free kick and uh, the third goal as well taken as it was and as, as great as Götze reacted to play that ball first time right into the path of, of Batshuayi who then could take the turn and then just slot it home somehow between the defender's legs and the goalkeeper which which was really well taken but we must forget there was a yet another unmotivated pitch cross into the box to I don't know hope for the best and it was just a defender heading it away poorly just you know in the path of Götze but it was nothing that Dortmund really created for themselves and this is just where my criticism lies uh, yes they do on occasion create something from from open play right by themselves but it, it hardly ever really happens on the consistency that you should expect of a team like Dortmund and the with the quality of players they have and um, I really pin that on Peter Stöger right now and um, I looked a little bit at uh, Julian Weigel in the Gladbach game just because it, it was so bad and maybe one explanation I have is that um, build-up play right now is just not a priority because um, you already see it very early um, that Dortmund, like after two or three minutes for the very first time, have like a clean build-up from the back with uh, Berkey playing it to Socrates and then Julian Weigel usually world famous for moving away from a cover shadow to receive a pass actually stuck with the run of Lars Stendel who was moving to the inside and then um, basically man marked Stendel although being in possession himself that was something that I found really odd because Weigel could have just stayed where he was and uh, Stendel would have moved away in that instance but he, he stayed with Stendel and maybe of course, I'm not the fly in the wall in the dressing room, but maybe that's the plan that in case Dortmund lose possession and Weigel is close to a player like Stenl or another attacking player just so a counterattack can be prevented. This is so far the only explanation I have for Dortmund's lackluster builder play because if Julian Weigel can't really do his thing, then what is he really good for? Because we already mentioned it defensively. He is more of a liability in, in the defensive transition. His runs are torrid. Centre-backs usually have to make up for him. And um, he is being called ball-watching all the time. And he is lacking pace in general. So um, right now, a lot of his positive qualities are completely nullified by the way Dortmund play. So for me, in my theory, that is on Peter Schröger. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What do you think, Lars? Well, in part it's on Stöger, but some of those issues have been with Dortmund the entire season, so it would be hard to pin them on the manager taking over on December 10th, I think. Uh, in particular, uh, Weigel, I think I said before, he's basically not giving Dortmund solid play the entire season, and neither had uh, Shahin before, so... Uh, I, I think with Weigel, we always have to remember that he had that first huge injury of his career, which is always difficult for players. He missed the entire summer prep uh, with that broken ankle, uh, missed also, you know, the, the Confederations Cup, which would have been a good opportunity for him to make a mark as it uh, as the, the World Cup comes closer. So that's all that all plays into it. But just overall, 
I think uh, we have to expect more from someone like Weigel, who has done so well since coming to Dortmund and who is obviously so talented and doing some of the things that a player of that age usually doesn't do. So as you said, when he doesn't do uh, his normal stuff, where's his uh, advantage for Dortmund? What does he bring to the team? He's not overly athletic. Uh, he doesn't, you know... Uh, get stuck in with too many tackles, even though right now he tries and and does better than than some would have imagined, given just his lack of uh, physical uh, stature. But you know he, he's not creating scoring chances. Uh, he's not a, a threat from set pieces or whatever. He he really thrives just as a as a metronome in midfield, dictating uh, the the pace of your attacking play. And, and when he doesn't do that well, be it for individual or group tactical reasons, then there is a there is a reasonable question to ask, What? why is he still in the team? I mean, I'm not... I can I can answer that real quick. They don't have anyone there's else. There's no better option. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I know. No option. And I, I don't want to, you know, uh, speak about someone replacing Weigel, generally speaking, Uh, because he's too talented and too big of a building block going forward unless he leaves in the summer, which I guess depends uh, partly on the coaching situation at Dortmund. But right now, I mean, they, uh, there's a good argument to be made that he hurts the team more than he helps it. And then obviously you have to look at, is there someone else? And thankfully for Weigel and for everybody who believes that Weigel will get better automatically at some point this season, which I kind of doubt because it's already late February and he's still doing this. Uh, thankfully for those people, there's nobody else. Uh, and we will see uh, on Thursday with Weigel being suspended against Atalanta. I could actually see uh, Nuri Shahin still on the bench. Uh, and, you know, maybe someone like Gonzalo Castro getting the not as the deeper midfielder which would bring trouble in its own right yeah certainly because Gonzalo Castro did not really cover himself in glory although he was a little bit more secure in his passing especially in the second half he actually completed 10 out of his 11 passes in in Gladbach but um, I just don't think him partnering up with Weigel is, is a good idea right now so Dortmund's double pivot is really lacking someone Like a Sven Bender, ironically, right now, um, if you're gonna play like the way Dortmund are playing right now, um, I don't know if we want to pin our hopes on Sebastian Rode. May he ever come no, back? But, um, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, there you have your answer. So, um, yeah, Nori Shine is, is probably going to play though, because, uh, what else is, is Sugar going to do? Shinji Kagawa? was tried out as a double pivot as well in uh, against Hamburg, but then he picked up the injury and he will certainly be out. I don't think Rafael Guerrero will be back. So who are you going to play there? I th I wouldn't be surprised if it's Castro da Hut. Uh, I don't know that I would do that, even though, you know, I'm not uh, too hot on Shahin generally, but I could see uh, Stöger going with uh, Castro and da Hut. And I mean... For whatever reason, Dahoud's not been lighting the world on fire in his first season at Dortmund. But what he does well is he's really aggressive as a ball winner and he's more stout physically than people give him credit for. So I don't know that that would be a great idea, but I think there's a, a good enough chance that it would work better than 
putting Shah in there who slows things uh, down even more than they already are. And I mean, if Dortmund get even slower in the build-up, they, they won't get any uh, balls to the front four. So uh, it's either going to be that or, uh, you know, they will break up that uh, attacking quartet and play Götze deeper, which he has done so well in the first half of the season. But right now he's kind of excelling in a more attacking role than he had played in the last 18 months. Yeah, that would have been my my actual answer that to put Götze there, um, because Dahoud, I don't I don't see him doing too well either, and I feel like there's always a very good threat that he gets sent off by the way he plays, because sometimes he is uh, just a little bit over the limit with his actions, and the the problem of Dahoud is that he right now is also a liability in his passing because sometimes he just sees teammates running into spaces where there are no teammates nor spaces so uh, <laughs> as 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 sad as it is but i guess we have to admit that mahmoud Dahoud right now is also not really a great help for for dortmund but uh, yeah maybe paired with with castro that's going to be the um, the best option for them i mean i I, I would agree with that stefan but we have to remember that uh, stöger brought Dahoud on defending a slim lead at Gladbach with his history with the club and the fans not being happy with his exit. If he was ever going to be sent off for something stupid, this was the game. So Stöger trusting him there, defending a slim lead, would lead me to believe that uh, he wouldn't have any problem starting him in the Europa League. That's just my my, my thought process. I mean, it might just, just as well be that uh, it's going to be Shahin as the lone number six and then Uh, Götze moving a bit deeper with Royce as the 10, if you like. So we don't know, but we're just spitballing. And and I just don't really want to see uh, Shaheen get the chance to slow Dortmund down even further because, let's face it, uh, Atalanta were thrilled with the results once they got over the fact that they received uh, the losing goal in stoppage time because scoring two away goals and losing by only one, that's... That's a dream result for, uh, not the dream result, obviously, but that's the best kind of uh, defeat you can get in Europe. Yeah, that is very true. And um, another worry that I have is that when Nori Shine plays is that as soon as Atalanta try to turn the screw and, uh, you know, we, we all remember that one loss in Liverpool and, and others where the stadium gets really fired up and Dortmund are sort of on the back foot. We saw it in Gladbach, it all already did not work out well, but with Shine in there, you're going to be completely overrun because he just cannot cover the ground at all. There will be gaps that open up and he cannot, he just cannot fill them because he is physically unable to. So if, if you have them there and, uh, you know, shit hits the fan and, and Dortmund really have to defend and, and Atalanta, you know, with the euphoria of the fans and maybe score a goal or so, and want to to seal the tie or what whatever then i just don't see dortmund recovering from that with shine in the midfield please prove, prove me wrong but right now from what i've seen so far in 2018 nope not going to happen so um yeah it's it's really a worry right now that dortmund's uh, central midfield is um not doing well and um yeah but but one thing we 
we have to say, as you mentioned, uh, the fans running riot. Uh, something that may work in Dortmund fa Dortmund's favor is that Atalanta don't get to play their European games in their home stadium. Uh, they play in Reggio Emilia, I think, uh, in the Europa yes. League, in the uh, Mapai Stadium, which isn't their home ground. Uh, it's like, I think it's like a 90-minute drive or so from Bergamo. Uh, to the stadium uh, they are going to play in on Thursday. So, and it's not like Atalanta, even though they have some of the best support in Italy. I think they are like eighth in the uh, home standings in Serie A. Uh, at yeah, but do you really think that matters for home tie, Europa League home tie, I mean, quote unquote, against Dortmund? I mean, I've seen them more often than you did. You you watch them for the first time, uh, I guess now uh, for 90 minutes at least. Uh, on Thursday, did that strike you as a side that, that runs completely hot and, and can score like two or three goals in, in quick succession? <laughs> well, they did score two yeah, but, goals but in, they were, in quick succession. But they were invited to it. It's not like they, they overran Dortmund with their own quality. That's just, it's just not that kind of side because they don't have the, that individual quality, I feel. So I don't really see, uh, Dortmund, you know, I don't see the perfect storm for Atalanta really as it was uh, against Liverpool where clearly Dortmund were just overwhelmed at some point. Yeah, but even in that game Dortmund were necessarily inferior individually and I'm I'm just already sort of assuming that Dortmund will have some sort of collapse and with the momentum swing um that went Atalanta's way as it did in the, in the first leg. I just don't see Dortmund recovering from such an incident let's call it in the in the second leg in italy i just don't see it right now so um yeah that's that's just my opinion and <laughs> i really hope that would prove me wrong there and uh, show a little bit more maturity i mean so far in 2018 they are completely unbeaten And a draw will be enough so if it's going to be boring scholars draw whatever be my guest But um, maybe a couple of uh, points still to discuss for for this game. Um, a, do you think that the return of Marcel Schmelzer will improve Dortmund? I don't know to what extent, but uh, with Dortmund nursing that one goal advantage, it's certainly a help to have the captain back and someone who's more tactically solid, at least, than Toljan, who might actually be a better one-on-one -on -one defender thanks to his own athleticism. But I mean, with Dortmund presumably being okay with playing on the counter and being more solid defensively, I think it makes perfect sense for Schmelzer to have his comeback. Yeah. All right. And um, adding to that, um, how do you think Stöger will line up his his attack? Because in, in theory, you could throw in Batshuayi, Schule, Reus as a front three and maybe even... Pulisic if if you want and uh, yeah basically have a 4-2-4 shape where you which is spearheaded by Batshuayi and uh, maybe Götze plays then in a double pivot next to say Dahoud or Castro and uh, then you have the the free flowing front four which is very good at counter-attacking do you think that Dortmund will assume a shape let's say that they usually do when they are an elite right from the get-go I don't know. I think uh, the entire game plan will revolve around the position of Götze. 
Uh, we've talked already about his uh, or the potential of him playing basically two roles. He's going to be either be a number 10 with presumably Pulisic again on the bench, even though it wouldn't shock me to see uh, Royce benched to come off uh, as a sub just because he's started every game since coming back. Uh, and, you know, he he probably evaded an injury not only because of the bad pitch, but also of because of that one bad tackle from Elvedi. Yeah. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me if, if Royce didn't play. So that would put Pulisic back in it. But as I said, the entire thing will revolve around what position Götze plays. And as I said, I, I, my best guess right now would be that it's going to be Castro and Tahoud in central midfield. So that would once again have the attacking foursome of uh, the three German amigos and Bacuay with the added bonus that uh, Pulisic is really good as a sub. And, uh, you know, an extended break for him might not be a bad thing. Yeah, although you said right now there's no time for a break, but um, yeah, if he if he gets a couple of minutes of rest, it's uh, probably not not a bad thing um, because I think he's a little bit overplayed. Um, I think it's time for a prediction, and I think we will see a very hot heated one one draw. What's your prediction? I'm going to predict some late drama, but Dortmund to prevail in a 2-2 draw. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we more or less have uh, the same envision. I also think that goals will come in late, but uh, yeah, I've been wrong before and I will be wrong again. So, and Where, with that, whereas I have never been wrong in my entire no, life. No, of course not. No, not 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 once. <laughs> Anyway, we can uh, move on to the uh, Monday game, which, of course, is a little bit controversial. We already saw it um, now this Monday between Frankfurt and Leipzig. Uh, Frankfurt had a very great protest uh, endorsed by the club. Game was kicked off uh, about 10 minutes later because uh, the club actually gave their fans a platform to protest. They left their stance and then went uh, closer to the pitch and uh, basically protested against Monday games. And after 10 minutes, they moved back into the stands and there was not any sort of riot or anything. It was all peacefully, which is good. Remembering when Frankfurt were relegated in 2011, they crowned themselves as German riot champions or however you want to translate Randale Meister and um, yeah overall very good by Eintracht Frankfurt to um, basically award their fans a platform in the second half they threw tennis balls on the field um, with another wave of protest um, last overall I don't I don't know if you saw the game uh, I did not but I read up on it later um, how did you see this protest unveil and uh do you think we will see something similar next Monday? I did watch the game and, and if every Monday night game in the Bundesliga and there are only going to be six, so the entire discussion might be a bit uh, exaggerating. But if every game is as good as this one was, then I don't have any problem with Monday night games because that was arguably the most entertaining Bundesliga game in a long time that I've seen anyway. Um really a great game and, and Frankfurt are here to stay uh, by the way but uh, 
more generally speaking, uh, I, I liked, as you said, that Frankfurt gave uh, their fans a, a platform to protest, but peacefully. I mean, there was nobody got injured, nobody. Uh, th there was no aggression towards, you know, the players or anything. Uh, I think the the German football league will will bite themselves in the behind right now that they didn't just switch the games around the Monday night games. They could have easily played the first game at Gladbach, which wouldn't have been as big of an issue as in Frankfurt and the second in Leipzig. And Leipzig don't have real ultras anyway, so there probably wouldn't have been any protest there. Uh, now they gave the games to Frankfurt, who, as you said, are quite known for being a bit out there in terms of their fan base. And Dortmund, who... Uh, are very articulate about uh, their displeasure for some of the extremes of modern football. If you if we want to go that far, so the the difference between those two games uh, is probably going to be that Dortmund are Dortmund's fans are staging more of a protest by not showing up. Uh, I'm pretty certain it's still going to be a, a decently filled stadium, but it's not going to be close to eighty thousand. I don't think. Where so there's it's not going to be like the entire yellow wall being up in arms uh, or anything as we've seen them in in some other games you know when it's when it came to Leipzig or Hoffenheim back in the day so there's going to be some sort of protest from the people there I'm sure but it's not going to be on the same level as the the Frankfurt game was yeah the uh, unity and the uh unity of the yellow wall i guess they already announced a boycott so several ultra groups several fan clubs um will stay away from that game so i assume that even though it's maybe going to show sold out on the on the uh, attendance board when when they show it on the on the video screen uh, the, the stadium will most likely be emptier than it usually is uh, for a midweek game. I mean, the Atalanta game wasn't completely sold out, but um, that's also not a game that fills 80,000. And I think if this were a, a cup game, let's say on the, on a Tuesday at the same kickoff time against, say, Bayern Munich, for example, they would have easily sell it out. So, you know, obviously Dortmund fans can or or Dortmund can sell out a ground midweek and I don't think that's up for discussion but the problem is you know the Bundesliga should be on the weekend in if if you argue for the fans because especially for the Augsburg fans if you're working on Monday which you usually do and then have to go from Augsburg I don't know how many kilometers that are but I assume about 800 or more then uh, it's that's a very long commute <laughs> and this is going to suck so basically you will have to stay overnight or, or whatever and uh, yeah it's it's just not it's just not a, a, a good fan-friendly kickoff time and i think this is um you know the right of the of the fans to protest that and um Hans-Joachim Watzke the old populist uh, already said uh, you know without monday games we will maybe lose a million or two come 2021 but uh, he says that a unity with the fans is more important 
or more of value to the club. If, than, if, on, uh, if only that unity with the fans had been more important when Dortmund agreed to the deal that set uh, Monday games on the schedule. But you know, yeah, yeah, I was I was just going to gather that, yeah. which is why I said the old populist. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, Dortmund actually do have a, a sporting advantage because they have a one more day of rest after after the European game. Um, so the the thing is obviously um you know erosion between the fan base that should be the the people that go to the stadium should be your most important fans i, I at least in my view um i know other people could see it differently and i actually asked um you know how how people see it on on the yellow wall and um you know, Nephi, for example, on, on Twitter said, I enjoy it because I can now watch a game during my Monday lunch hour. And, uh, you know, football is United rights. Monday night games are a sign that the league isn't listening to or doesn't care about views of the fans. It's problematic for away fans due to travel plans, work, etc. And detracts from the atmosphere in stadiums, which the Bundesliga is famous and unique for. And uh, at BVB or at Dortmund India writes, I know why fans are annoyed, but if scheduled nicely, it can be a good for teams playing Champions League or Europa League. Um, so basically, you know, it's out there to to generate more income. And uh, I think for especially for our international audience, a Monday game can be nice. Um, as you already said, Leipzig and Frankfurt, that game didn't, hinder to be a great game regardless although being played on the monday but um yeah it's it's sort of controversial because um you know local fans always feel like the 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 football is basically shifting their focus on the people that are sitting behind the television i think the var is another point you could make about that because um you know, right now people are very much left alone in the stadium with it. And, you know, it's not like people on TV enjoy a better explanation, but just a little bit at least. So they, you know, see the replays eventually. And, um, you know, if you're a fan that, you know, travels to almost every game, that, um, you know, devotes his life, his financial, his, his time, basically to a club and, and you feel like you're being less and less important to the club that you support, I, I think that can hurt. And um, so I think a protest like this is 100% understandable. Um, for me personally, it's actually kind of nice that Dortmund play on a Monday because that means I get to have a little bit more get to spend a little bit more time with my wife because i don't have to work so that's nice uh but um yeah from from a journalist per perspective it, it might be nice but not for those journalists that have to come all the way from Augsburg or wherever because you know finishing at 1 or 2 a.m with your work isn't great either so um you know but for me personally it's kind of nice i don't know Lars. i have a hunch you personally don't mind it either yeah, I mean, I understand all you said about the local fans, and certainly I think the league could have done a better job uh, at scheduling these games. I guess they didn't expect Dortmund to drop out of the Champions League or whatever, but uh, they could have done uh, 
for example, if Dortmund were playing Gladbach at home on this next uh, match day, which means they would have switched it around with Augsburg and home and away. I mean, uh, I actually know what I'm talking about because I'm basically a commissioner for youth football in, in my local city. So I'm, I'm actually planning game schedules for hundreds of youth teams every year. So I know how difficult that can be, but the Bundesliga trumps everything. So there's always a way if they want to do something. So uh, they could have made it so that it wasn't Augsburg traveling all the way to Dortmund, like it's uh, Ingolstadt traveling to Bochum on the Monday night in the second Bundesliga. That doesn't make sense. Uh, if it were a closer team, uh, you know, where both away fans and, and you know, uh, journalists traveling and all, all that entails the entire match day operation, basically. Uh, if that wasn't such a long trip, I wouldn't mind it at all. Uh, I think floodlight football, as we call it in Germany, is always kind of nice, uh, especially for uh, clubs that aren't usually playing in Europe. I, I know Augsburg had that European campaign last season, but generally they don't get a lot of you know, prime time games, if you like, even though it's only on a, a channel very few people in Germany actually watch. Uh, but the the problem I have with, I don't, I mean, it's not really a problem. Everybody has the right to protest whatever they want to protest for as long as uh, the form of their protest is, you know, civil and uh, the way it was in Frankfurt basically was very well done. But my problem with it is that it's only six games and I know it's a nip in the butt and you know, it's, it's a, it's a problem for those fans that, that goes beyond just these six Monday night games. And I understand all that, but there are far more egregious problems in modern football, uh, that people should be up in arms about than six games in a four, uh, 34 match day season. Uh, for example, yesterday, FC Bayern, I, I don't know if they even announced it or if just someone broke the news, but uh, one of their long-term sponsors was German airline Lufthansa and they ended their partnership with that airline to go with, I think, Qatar Airways for a few more quid. And, you know, we all know that the uh, circumstances for workers in Qatar, especially in uh, connection with the World Cup are basically inhumane and there's slavery in that country, literally. And people are dying constructing uh, football stadia and, and all that. So I don't see how six Monday night games in the Bundesliga are reason to be up in arms when these huge entities are making these decisions that have such a political... Uh, bearing so if you want to protest about something protest about a, a club like Bayern doing training camps in uh, inhumane regime states basically and there are so many other political issues that deserve more attention than uh, some fans from Augsburg having to travel a bit on a Monday night I know that sucks for them but I don't think that's the the huge issue football should be concerned about no, you're absolutely right, Bayern, um, aligning themselves with Qatar and basically trying to whitewash the, as you mentioned, slavery, you know. I mean, it's, it's not only, it's only, it's not only happening there, but, uh, you know, it's, I think it's also happening in Germany to the extent that workers are being exploited on construction sites. I think that's a worldwide phenomena, but, uh, it's not as worse as, 
in Qatar where, you know, they have to work day and night in smoldering heat, you know, your passport or whatever is being taken away from you because traditionally those workers are not from Qatar but from countries around there, or, you know. So, um, yeah, this is, this is really atrocious and, um, you know, when the Human Rights Watch is addressing Bayern Munich for their dealings and whether they care to comment about uh, what they are doing, uh, you know, and you, you just hear silence from Bayern, then this should be a much greater worry. And um, should also, I think this is something other clubs should actually speak out about um, because... Yeah, but but if if I may, Stefan, what club, what big club can speak out about it? Like Dortmund went there for a training camp themselves, and they, uh, I mean, they understood now that that wasn't a great idea, and even though they weren't paid for it, uh, they still legitimize a, a regime that isn't humanely dealing with its constituents. Uh, when when you travel to a training camp in the Gulf region, I mean, I don't want to you know throw them all in the same category, but. Uh, too many clubs aren't in a position to talk about these things just because they are all doing some things that I guess we can call shady or whatever. So, and and I don't want that to be uh, any confusion. This is not about Bayern doing this one deal. That's that's just topical. I mean, the entirety of professional football has a problem with aligning themselves with. I, I'm just going to call them bad people. Uh, that's not something many clubs can say they don't have anything to do with. And those that can probably don't have the sway in, you know, the German society or the societies in which these European leagues, uh, take place to, to make a change. So there's nobody, especially not in the, in the foot, in, in the sports governing bodies who can, can honestly say that they could, they condemn this or whatever because they are all embedded in in some ways with these states. Yeah, that is very true, and uh, is is a big problem, uh, especially when you look at the Premier League and uh, the var- variety of billionaires that are owning several clubs. I mean, you have Saudi Arabia basically owning Manchester City, then you have Qatar in. Uh, Paris, for example, and uh, the owner of Arsenal, Stan Kroenke, for example, is not exactly, uh, you know, uh, the the man of the people either in the United States. So, you know, just from Abramovich, you know, just just, uh, from the top of your head, those are all not the nicest people, I guess. So um, uh, back to football for for now, at least. Dortmund will have to play on on Monday. They have that one extra day of rest. Do you think that will be enough for them after, as you and I predicted, a very dramatic draw in Italy? Do you think they will have enough left in their tank to uh, beat Augsburg, who are uncomfortable and pesky? Yeah, I guess the the extra day Dortmund get is also an extra day for Augsburg. Uh, they played on Sunday as well, I think, against Stuttgart. So they will have like six days off uh, before facing Dortmund or seven, however you want to look at it. Um, so whatever advantage Dortmund have is uh, an even bigger one for Augsburg. Uh, 
I haven't really seen much of them in 2018. Uh, I can only speak from experience with them that games against them were always kind of difficult, but more often than not, Dortmund uh, had the better of them. Uh, I think at home, other than that one Dong Won Ji, uh, 1-0, 1 0 win for Augsburg, I, I don't really remember Dortmund having too many issues at home, but I'm, I'm sure I'm just completely off by that with that statement. Um, I mean, it doesn't really make sense for us to speculate too much. We, we don't know how Dortmund will line up against Atalanta. We don't know how they exit that game. Uh, it's unlikely, but possible there will be extra time if Atalanta beat Dortmund 3-2. Uh, not the most likely scenario, but might be. You will always have to worry about injuries in these high-profile games. So the only thing that we can talk about is the, the depth in Dortmund's attacking ranks, which isn't great um, unless someone comes back, which I don't see right now. Uh, someone like Guerrero isn't even back in team training. Maxi Phillips certainly a few weeks still away. So it's not like Dortmund have too many options to, you know, rotate or whatever. Not that Peter Stöger is a big fan of rotation anyways, but uh, the the one thing that still speaks heavily in Dortmund's favor as opposed to Augsburg is just individual quality. And the question is, uh, can they uh, tap into that resource right now? And the last few weeks haven't been great on a macro level, but the individual performances of some of these players. We talked about Schürrle's resurgence to an extent. Uh, Reus has come back decently. Götz is in good form. Batshuayi has been great for the Dortmund so far. So as long as enough of these guys uh, play up to their potential to an extent, they don't have to be at 100%. Dortmund at home should be able to beat a team like Augsburg. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that Dong Dong Jong, uh, Dong Won Ji header actually yielded in a one-one draw last season. What you may be referring to was that Bobadilla goal, which uh, some somewhat uh, you know surprisingly gave Dortmund uh, Augsburg their first win over Dortmund back when uh, Dortmund were bottom in the league. I think after that game they were right after the international break. Uh, uh, after the uh, winter break where everyone thought now is the time where Dortmund will certainly turn it around and then they sort of did but uh, starting after that Augsburg game so um, usually Dortmund know how to beat Augsburg and I, I think as you said this should also be the hope this time as uh, I certainly presume Dortmund will not have a tactical game plan to um to really uh, unlock Augsburg because um, his his first name is Manuel, right? Manuel Baum. Yep. He is very savvy, I think, at least in uh, preparing his sides tactically for games. And if I watch video material of Dortmund right now, especially if I rewatch it in, in, in yeah, you know, a bit slower where can pass, then it's it's not really all that hard to. Um, you know, to decipher them. So I have a hunch that Augsburg will be well prepared and uh, with a lot of drama around the game, maybe the focus will not be 100% on the game, although that's that's always a discussion I find very weird, but sometimes you actually see effects or maybe you make connections that aren't really there. But one way or another, 
I think that Dortmund will struggle in that game because they um, will have to shed some feathers in Europe. And uh, because of that, I actually predict that Dortmund will only get a draw against Augsburg. So that's my prediction. 2-1-1 draws. What's yours, Lars? Uh, since it's uh, Wednesday when we are recording right now and we don't know how the Atalanta game goes and who's going to be available and all that on Monday night, I'm going with the, as you would say, housewife prediction of a 2-1 home win because that's, I guess, statistically speaking, the most likely result for most home games. Yeah, I, I guess so. And you said that uh, the Great Depression will only start in Leipzig. <laughs> so, um, yeah, until until then, I guess uh, we'll have a lot of football to watch. Excuse me. And um, as I'm losing my voice, maybe it's uh, best to knock it on the head. Lars, thanks for that. Not really all that quick to some. <laughs> I mean, um, if, if all my uh, quick to sums took 80 minutes, I, I'd be much more popular with the ladies. <laughs> all right. Um, nevertheless, uh, if ladies want to contact you on Twitter, um, where can they do that? Yeah, ladies can swipe right on Twitter at Lars Polman. Is it swipe right yeah. or left? I don't know. Um, I, I think you swipe left to deny someone yeah then then it's obviously left for me <laughs> whatever you want um you can find me on twitter as well at es uh, at stefan Botsko. you can find my writing on espnfc uh you can get in touch with the yellow wall on uh, our twitter and facebook which you can find on yellowwallpod.com where you can also find our written contact and the ways to subscribe to our channels where we publish the podcast which is itunes stitcher and soundcloud and if you want to support us financially then um you can certainly do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall and i will uh, make sure that i snap up a couple more collector's cups next monday in the stadium while everyone else is gone so um i will uh, use that window of opportunity and bring some more cups home so look out for that And uh, yeah, once again, thank you all for listening. Until next week, goodbye.